be sure to visit Aaron on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Like and share your favorite episodes, which are now available on all podcast platforms, including the Charisma Podcast Network. And consider becoming a financial partner by supporting this ministry. Visit AaronRios.com for more details. And when the past tries to rise up and steal from me the joy that I have, I have to remember who God is, that God is bigger than, than that mountain of pain, that God is stronger than that mountain of pain, that God is God is greater than that mountain of pain. So now, even though the abuse was a part of my life, God is bigger than all that. Welcome to Press On with your host, Aaron Rios. We pray you are enriched, encouraged, and inspired to run the race and to press on towards the cause of Christ. Welcome back to another episode of Press On. I'm Aaron Rios. I want to thank you for being with us today. Today, I have a special guest. His name is Mark Sowersby. He's an author, and I'm excited for you to hear his story today. Welcome to Press On, Mark. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a blessing to be with you. Hey, listen, before we get started, right off the bat, go ahead and share with our listeners what you hope they walk away with today. My hope is that we walk away knowing God loves us, God's there for us, He has never left us nor forsaken us, that God is the God of hope, the God of healing, and the God of peace. So, Mark, you've authored a book called Forgiving the Nightmare. It's a powerful story. I just could not put the book down. I mean, I just kept turning the pages, which is what you told me. Just keep turning the pages. So go ahead and share with our listeners your story, if you would, please. Once again, I'm honored to. I wrote the book, Forgiving the Nightmare, and it's about that, that everybody has a nightmare. Everybody has a trauma, a situation, a problem, a hurt that's tried to hold us back, hold us down, has tried to identify us. My nightmare was child abuse. From the ages of 7 to 14, I was abused by my mom's husband. She married a man 20 years her younger. He would come into our life and abuse me in every way, shape, and form. He would sell me to others. He would stab me and burn me. He would rape me almost daily, beat me almost daily. The trauma of those years just really affected so much of everything about my life. So we all have a trauma. We all have a past. We all have a pain. We all have something that's tried to steal from us. So we wrote the book, Forgiven the Nightmare, to say, you know what, this doesn't have to be who I am. It's true that my part of my story, part of my life was child abuse, but that child abuse doesn't have to identify me. That doesn't have to be who I am. It happened to me. It shaped me. It formed me. It, it's something that I went through, but it doesn't have to be who I am. It doesn't have to hold me there anymore. So I like to speak about hope. I like to speak about love. I like to speak about peace. As you were speaking, uh, I couldn't help but think how many cliches personally I've put out there. It's cliches I believe in, but I've put cliches out there like pain proves your purpose, um, you know, and trying to encourage people. And it's one thing to say something like that. But now as I'm listening to you, I've read your story. I'm taking a step back and I'm thinking, pain proves purpose. Like, what have I meant in saying something like that? Now, let me ask you, this is kind of a tough question, but you're now on the other side of, of such a, a powerful, traumatic story, but you're on the other side of that. Have you discovered purpose on the other end of the nightmare? Well, I hope so. I really hope so. You know, I don't know if we ever get over it, but, you know, with Christ, we can get through it. 
And again, these things shape who we are. It shapes how we feel about ourselves, about how we think about others. It shapes our worldview. It shapes our, our view of God. It shapes our view of others. So when you have these kind of traumas that happen in our life that, that are so so deep, so traumaful, if you would, uh, so just in a way that, that shapes everything we say and we do, uh, you know, the abuse in my life was the Everest that casted over me forever. Uh, it was the mountain that shed its its shadow over everything I did. You know, again, you heard me say from 7 to 14. At 14, I got big enough to fight my attacker mm. off. I found my hero. I found my defender. My uncle stepped in and defended me with his with his strength and his love. and his. So, yeah, at 14, it ended. But the, the lie still was still attached to me I was still shackled if you would or or tethered if you would to the to the pain so I thought these things about myself I thought I was broken I thought I was trash I thought I was left over I thought I was no good so the pain and and the fear and the abuse was the Everest the mountain that cast its shadow on everything I did in my whole life and I used to think that one day I was going to wake up and it was all going to be gone that, you know, it'd be rainbows and butterflies and everything would be great. To be honest with you, Aaron, that I still wake up and I have my triggers. I have my past tries to come back. And there's days where I have to remember his mercy is made new. And when the past tries to rise up and steal from me the joy that I have, I have to remember who God is. That God is bigger than, than that mountain of pain. That God is stronger than that mountain of pain. That God is God is greater than that mountain of pain. So now, even though the abuse is still, uh, not, even though the abuse was a part of my life, God is bigger than all that. So God's yeah, bigger than yeah. that mountain. Wow, wow. Now, I'm sure you're aware because you're also a pastor. This is one of the most challenged generations and that's not to pick on this generation um, I mean this is this is backed up there, there's evidence with this is one of the most depressed suicidal self-harming um, uh, drugs are readily available pornography is ready readily available to this generation like never before because in part the advent of the internet things are accessible right now in, in such a way um, like never before so we have a traumatized generation right now. And somebody also told me, you know, I don't, I don't make myself feel better, uh, by looking at someone else in more trauma. For instance, I don't look at somebody and say, or my kids and go, well, at least you're not that person. Right. Because trauma and pain is personalized. And so your story is unique. Um, but we know there's others that are going through very similar, um, situations right now. How does a person, someone right now that's listening, that is in the shadow of Everest, well, what, a, what could you speak to them? Sure, right yeah, it's a journey. I wish I could tell you it was a one-time prayer, went to the church, said a prayer, threw two bucks in the plate, went home and everything was perfect. It was not that way. For me, it was a journey. David said in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes we got to walk through some valleys. And that's how my miracle came. That's how my healing came. It didn't come in an instant. It came in the journey. I had to walk through some stuff. There was good days and bad days. What do they say? One step forward and two steps back. There was days where I shook my fist ahead 
heaven saying, God, why and where were you? And if you're a loving God, how do these things happen? So again, I had to be honest with myself. I had to be honest with God. I had to be honest with others. So again, I wish I could say it was, hey, you just say this prayer and everything's perfect. It's a journey and there's good days and there's hard days and there are are days where you're just being challenged in every way, shape, or form. So in that journey is where I found help. I found friends. I found coaches. I found pastors. I found people that would come beside me and help me on that journey. And and everyone brought their own gift and ability. Some were for a season, some for a lifetime, some were just a word that just encouraged me for a moment. So there's many people that came beside me on that journey, but it was ultimately God. And I had to learn to die to self. I had to learn to trust in the Lord. One of the first things about trauma that gets stolen, there's many things that trauma steals, but one of the first casualties of trauma is trust. Mm. You know, that's the first thing. You know, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust church. I don't trust God. I don't trust, you know. So God tells you to trust him. And that's a difficult thing when you have only known abuse, when you've only known rejection, when you've only known fear. And God says, trust me. The last person I trust, I got hurt. I got abandoned. I got robbed of my dignity, my self-respect. So for me, the journey kind of started this way. And you know the scripture where it says, if you have a seed, uh, 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 the mustard seed of faith can move a mountain. Like, Lord, what does that mean? <laughs> what is that? You know, it starts a lot with faith and trust and hope. And for me, it came slowly. It came step by step, precept by precept. And, and God had to teach me how to move a pebble. And from the pebble came a stone, and from the stone came a boulder, and from a boulder came, you know, came a hill, and from a hill it got bigger and bigger. That one day God said, "Let's go move that mountain." And I said, "God, it's too hard. It's too big. I'm too scared." And he said, "How did you move the pebble?" I said, "You helped me." Well, how did you move the boulder? Well, you helped me, and I'm going to help you move this mountain. But it was precept by precept. It wasn't an instant journey. It wasn't an instant thing. It was that that process. My healing came through the process. Wow. Yeah, I'm just I'm picturing right now on the other side that some of our listeners are parents with children that are dealing with severe mental health right now. And they're they're asking God why or how Um, maybe we've got a young person right now that's suicidal. Um, You're laying in bed. You're dealing with with a deep depression, drug addiction. Um, You don't want your life to look like this. Nobody ever wakes up and says, oh, here's how I'd like my life to look like. Um, You never asked for any of this but this was on your plate. How do we find people? How could someone on the other end right now that you don't have the strength, you don't have a youth pastor, you don't have someone to reach out to, what would you say to someone? I know this is a big question. Well, as you said earlier, this this generation is the most connected generation, but also in a lot of ways the most uh, isolated generation. Mm. So they are connected by the internet. They're a picture away from talking to somebody across the world, a, a message, a Facebook, a, a tweet, a Twitter, something out there that you're, you're, you're instantly connected to the world. But in a lot of ways, you're the most isolated generation. Mm. And I think that we have to reach out. And I know it's hard. I know it's scary. It's, it's coming out of that comfort zone. And for those that are in that brokenness, those that are in that pain, one of the first lies the enemy likes to say is that you're by yourself. You're the only one. You're the only person that's going through this. You're the only one dealing with this addiction or this problem or this fear or this depression. And that's a lie the enemy loves to tell. You know, the Bible talks about how the enemy is like a lion. Well, a lion never attacks a pack. It always attacks the ones that straggle behind the pack. 
So, so you know, the, when you're the strength in community, there's strength in community. So when you're going through something, there's there are groups, there are advocacies, there's, there's programs out there that are calling for us to reach out. You're not the only person, those that are listening today, that are going through anything. There's, a, there's people out there that have been where you're at. There's people who have been through what you've gone through. There's people who know there's a way out. And I'll tell you, they, are, they want to come beside you. They want to say, hey, I was trapped. I was addicted. I went through pain. I went through sorrow. I went through abuse. I went through divorce. I had to deal with a death. And, and I know there's people out there that want to come beside you. And in this most connected generation, I'm sure you can find it. It's probably just a Google search away. Yeah, yeah. Man, what, what a thought. I mean... There are people that have made it through and they want to. They want to come alongside hurting people. Um, I think of some of the seasons that I dealt with severe depression and it never crossed my mind that maybe somebody actually wanted to help me. And, and I really hope that message gets through today to somebody that you feel like you're in that pit of despair. You feel alone. And the idea right now, I hope the light bulb would go on that somebody actually wants you to reach out to them. They don't know you're hurting. Um, they, there's people that want to help see you rescued That's from right. the pain and the trauma. I, I want to ask you this. This, this is a, I feel like I've got a couple of challenging questions and, um, you know, you're welcome to, to just, we can just marinate on the question okay. for a moment here. But as I was reading through your story, I, the question came into my mind. I wonder why sometimes it takes God so long to step in. I don't know. Have you ever asked that question? You ever considered that? Sure. Sure. <laughs> and, and again, I think that's a great question to ask. Uh, when you've gone through these kind of traumas and you want answers, sometimes you have to ask God some hard questions. And to be honest, God will answer, but sometimes they're hard answers. Yeah. You know, I want the sweet answer. I want the kind answer. I want the gentle answer. I want the answer that's going to make me feel good. And I ask God, why? Why, God, was my body ravished by this uh, perverted individual? Why was I raped for seven years? Why was my body burnt? And why was I stabbed? And why was I sold to other men for their sick perversion? When I asked God that, you know, I wish I could say that he answered me instantly. There was no answer. Probably because I wasn't ready for the answer. Mm. Oh, I knew the answer I wanted, that God was going to defend me and God was going to tear down all my enemies and he was going to lift me up high. But as I grew and I matured and I kept asking God that question, I remember the Lord said, Mark, I've called you from your mother's womb. Wow. I really believe that I have a call in my life to preach the good news, to bring people closer to Christ, not because I'm anything special. Just like that old song, that song says, I'm just a nobody trying to tell somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's... <laughs> And, and I think God called me from my mother's womb, but the enemy, the lion, the one that tries to kill and destroy, I believe he's been trying to distract me from that call. So it's nothing God ordained. It's nothing God said, okay, I have chosen you to go through this. Mm. But the enemy attacked me from that moment. You know, that moment that I was born. I was born from an affair. I didn't know my father until I was 45. I, I wrestled with dyslexia, and, and I was a special ed student. And all the pain and the fears and the inabilities that were wrapped up in that. But God has taken all that, and he is using it for his glory. Wow. He's using it for his, his purpose. You know, I think of John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist is in prison, right? This this guy who lived outside and he was preaching the gospel. Now he is captured and he's in this prison and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus a hard question, right? Are you really the one? Now John the Baptist baptized Jesus. The dove was there, the voice from heaven. He made and the proclamation, that's right? right? That's yeah, right, he yeah. knew. So, but when he was in that place of stress, when he was in that place of trauma, when he was in that place that he was captured in, he said, I got to know. So his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, go see Jesus. And Jesus answers him, you know, ask John, has he not seen? And he gives him a testimony. Has he not seen ears open and dead raised and the word proclaimed? And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And I used to say to myself, God, why don't you just say yes? Yes, I am. He said, because he already had the answer. He just needed a testimony. And for me, I think for me, I've had the answer. I knew the enemy was trying to destroy me. I needed a testimony knowing that God was with me, that God was going to make a way for me. And I think some of us have answers and they're not easy and they're not light and they're hard and they're difficult and why and how come. But some of us have the answer. We just need testimonies and know that God's with us. Wow. If I'm hearing you, people right now that are, again, in that, in that pit, in that shadow of that mountain, um, I mean, that just inspires hope to the one that is in the shadow of that place that I'm going through this, but this isn't forever. This is not going to define my identity. And this is evidence that God has purpose and plan for me. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly what you're hearing. You know, and the person that has to believe that most is you. You know, people ask me all the time, did I forgive myself? Boy, what a question. Did I forgive myself? The Bible never tells me to forgive myself. And you wrestle with that. You know, those deep theologians scratching their beards, trying to figure out what that all means. But the Bible does tell me to love myself. It tells me to love my neighbors like I love myself. So there's a, there's a point where God tells me to love myself so yeah. I can love my neighbors. He says it's one of the greatest commandments of all. You know what? I couldn't love myself until I was able to receive God's forgiveness. Yeah. Because my abuser left me with such an insecurity, such a fear. He left me feeling like trash. At 14, my body was done being abused. And I thank God that, there, that he healed my body. And the, and, the, and the bruises and the bumps and the wounds were healed. But the, the pain lasted many, many years because the lies that lived in my spirit, the lies that, that I believed about myself because I was groomed. That's, I didn't know it then, yeah. but that's what they called it. And when you're groomed, they make you feel like it's your fault. Mm. So I was groomed for many years and I, and I carried that attitude, the loud voices, I'd want to run away or fix it. I want to take blame because it has to be my fault. People are angry. It has to be my fault because any anger is my fault because that's what I felt like when I was groomed. And when God was became the lifter of my head and the lover of my soul, and he taught me to love myself. And in loving Christ, I learned to love myself. In forgiving, in receiving Christ's forgiveness, I learned to walk in forgiveness. So, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, again, that's just another powerful thought we hear often in church, you know, forgive yourself, forgive yourself. I, I've heard that. Um, and I've had my moments when I've, um, I've had to say that to myself, but... I think you articulated it really well. I don't think it's so much that I'm forgiving myself. 
in as much as I'm receiving Christ's forgiveness Amen. over Amen. my life, right? Amen. Amen. And you brought up another powerful point on loving your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with the all that you are. And I appreciate that because it's not contingent when I love God on how much I love me or like me. But when, when it comes to loving others, I can only love somebody to the measure that I've learned to really love myself. So it has to begin with loving God so that his love can flow into my life and become that overflow to love others. Talk to me a little bit about uh, probably the pain of learning to love. I mean, as a father now, um, husband, um, you know, being able to, to, to express love to other people. Again, I'm considering uh, a variety of listeners, but I'm, I'm thinking again, you know, I have teenage kids right now. And so love is being redefined. We've got all this stuff going on. Talk to me about learning to love. Well, I had to learn what love was. See, for where I grew up, love love was an abusive word. Mm. Love was a, a selfish word. Love was a demand. It wasn't a privilege. It wasn't a passion. It wasn't a, a giving. It was a taking. So I had to find out what love was. And where could I find out where love was? Before I could marry my wife, before we had children, before I could, I had to find out where love was. And the Bible says God is love. So in that journey I spoke about, that one step forward and two steps back, that, that altar time that helped me from the next day to the next day, that those moments shaking my fist to heaven and also crying at the altar. In that process, when I felt like I can't go on anymore, God, give up on me because everybody else has. I've given up on myself. God, I'm nothing. I'm worthless. God, why would you ever want to be with me? I, I hated myself. And in that moment, is where God's love was the brightest. And why? Why? I'm junk. I'm not worth it. I'm, I'm, but in those moments is where I started to learn a love that wasn't selfish, a love that wasn't demanding, a love that was was full and complete. And in those moments, those and there wasn't every day, it was little snapshots, if you would, but, but that love started to grow. And as I learned to love God in the same way, you know, I call the book Forgiving the Nightmare because I wanted to be able to forgive those who hurt me because we all know the scriptures about, you know, in, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive those who trespass against you. So I wanted to forgive, but I didn't start this journey off seeking forgiveness. I started this journey off seeking God. See, I grew up in a home of lies and dysfunction. I grew up in that kind of home. So I did not want to find a religion full of manipulation and lies. I wanted to seek God. God, if you're real, then show me who you are. I, I don't need thou shall not. I need for God so love. And, and God brought me on that journey. And it was one step back and forward and up and down and left and right and good and bad. And, you know, I'm giving up. I'm throwing in the towel today and God would come and get me. But in that journey, as I sought God, as I went after God as I tried my best to say, God, fill me with your word and with your spirit. In that process, God taught me to forgive. The forgiveness is an outflow as a result of a first loving God because God loved me. And then everything else from that, from that loving my family, loving my wife, loving yeah, my children, yeah. loving my church became just a process first by loving God. Wow. Yeah. So early on in your book, you talked about a youth group that you just got connected with. And that really opened the door to take you down, take you down the path. Yeah. Um, so what were some of the ingredients in that church, 
you know, that, um, besides pretty girls, maybe, <laughs> that, that um, you know, because, I mean, you know, teenagers, sure, you find that sure. environment where, you know, but, like, what were some of the ingredients that you would have found, um, you know, for anyone in ministry, you know, we, uh, you know, being a pastor myself, I, I want to have doors open to anyone and everyone, not just to, not just for them to come to church, but so their lives would be changed and transformed. And so I asked this question, and I think to myself, what could we implement? You know, what could we, and it's not, I know, I understand it's not just a process, but what is the environment that is conducive for people who are going through trauma to find a home? Well, I think there's a couple questions in what you've asked me. First of all, that youth group for me was acceptance. It wasn't perfection. They weren't perfect people, but it were people who love God. They made a way for me. Uh, as an adult, I look back and I realize how many adults sacrificed for me. You know, they didn't give me the check, but they gave it to the pastor. Make sure Mark goes to camp. You know, they didn't give me the check, but make sure Mark gets some new sneakers. They didn't give me the check, but make sure Mark goes to youth group, you know, youth convention. I didn't know that was going on. The youth the pastor would just go, hey, Mark, you're going this weekend. You're going that weekend. The church for me truly became a sanctuary. Uh, truly, I was I went to everything at the church. We had two services. I went to both. I went to Sunday school. I went to Sunday. I think I even went to the women's meeting. <laughs> I mean, I went to everything at the church because it was truly a sanctuary. My home was so full of dysfunction that the church truly became my sanctuary. I think for the second part, you're asking me about what can the church do when, when people come in with abuse and hurt is I would say, first, listen, we all want to give a word. We all want to give uh, something that's so profound. Oh, I know what we can give. Uh, and, and people that are broken or been through abuse, they usually don't start off the conversation, oh, hi, by the way, I've been abused and raped and beaten. But if you listen, their story is going to come out. Um, they're not going to say it the first day you meet them. They don't trust you. They don't trust anybody. So I think listening and giving room for that person to, to heal and in that journey, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be backwards and forwards and one step good and one step. So there's going to be a lot of movement in that. So I think as the church, you know, we're really good about saying forgive and forget. I don't know if that's God does that. But when you've had so much trauma, you know, how can I forget that my body was raped? How can I forget that I was stabbed and burnt? doesn't mean I can't forgive it, but to say forgive and forget is not really genuine. It doesn't have to identify me, but I can't forget it. Um, I, don't, I don't have to live in it, but I don't have to hold on to it. So I think the church can give room for people to, to have, this, uh, have this expression and this feeling and this willingness to forgive. I think sometimes as Christians, we all want to forgive because we know it's what God wants of us to do. So a lot of times we don't allow ourselves to really go through the process of forgiveness. We kind of just go from the offense to forgiveness, and we never go through the process because we know God's calling us to. And, and that's a great place to seek and desire to ultimately end up. But again, I think we kind of whitewash the offense and never deal with the, the the pain of it, the expression of it, the hurt of it. You know, when the prodigal son came home, and we know that's a parable, but he said to the, his father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against God. And he repents, and the father forgives him. You know, so I think sometimes we just go right from, okay, you hurt me, I forgive you. 
because that's what God wants us to do. And that's a good thing. But sometimes we have to go through the process. How many times I've, I've spoken on forgiveness and I always jump to the conclusion of forgiveness. But I mean, I'm even thinking we're living through the process of forgiveness right now uh, as we're waiting on the Lord. You know, um, he has forgiven us. We're forgiven. But the repercussions and the healing and the traumas and discipleship is a process as we draw closer to a clear understanding of what it means to be forgiven and to shed off the weight. You know, everybody wants the instantaneous sanctification. My life is instantaneously holy, but we have those that are battling drug addiction and to be fully free. It's going to be a process. You just got saved and you all of a sudden want to look like uh, and live a life like someone who's been a believer for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And even after that, we're still working through things. But, you know, you're still taking that first step, that second step, that third step. What what do you say to a parent, a pastor, a leader who would say, okay, I'd like to be available to people who are going through trauma, but I'm I'm not equipped. Uh, And and I think you even began to scratch at this. You talked about listening. Um, Is it okay for, for someone who's on the other side who's received and they've opened up their heart and their arms towards someone who's going through trauma, is it okay for them to say, I don't know? Of course. All you can bring is you. That's all you can bring to somebody is you. And I think that being genuine, being real, being honest is exactly what many of us need. We know fake. We know pain. We know lies. We've been groomed in it. We were, we were told, you know, you fell down the stairs. That black eye wasn't because somebody punched you. You fell off the swing. When they ask you, make sure you say it was this and not that. So many of us that have been through these kind of abuses have grown up with lies about us. We were taught to lies. In a lot of ways, lies became our language, not because of our own fault, because of the trauma that we grew up in. So, you know, we don't need you to be anything but you. And you don't have to be Dr. Phil. You don't have to be Oprah. You don't have to even be Jesus, right? Just be you. Just love us the way you know how to love us. There'll be people who has the expertise and the backgrounds and the experience to take us to the next level. But if you're that pastor and go, you know what, I I don't know that, but I know how to love somebody. I know how to grab a cheeseburger and a shake with them. Hey, let's do that. And when those moments come where it gets a little bit deeper and a little, maybe you're uncomfortable, I know the Lord will bring somebody else in and say, I know that, but the the, the person still needs you. You know, not every moment of our lives do we need to be going through trauma healing. You know, I just want to talk about sports. I just want to play music. I just want to feel normal. You know, based on your powerful testimony and all that the Lord has done in your life. Now, from this perspective, what's something you would like to convey to not just the average Christian, but something that you believe the church should know about trauma? What, first of all, what trauma steals and it steals everything. It doesn't just steal what it was attached to, but it steals somebody's past and it steals somebody's future and it steals things from the people around them you know in my home my abuser I was the target of my abuser I was the one that was physically abused I was the one that was the center of his dysfunction his pain but that but an abuser abuses so that abuse became a bigger circle. So even though no one else got hurt like I got hurt physically, no one else got got wounded or bruised or beaten like I got physically or even raped, but still that 
that that wave of hurt, that wave of abuse still stretched out to others. So, you know, just be honest with people. Let them be who they are. I know the desire of the church is be healed and be well and be set free. I've preached it. I've proclaimed it. I am it. But again, some get healed in an instant. You know, some God can touch and sometimes God lets you get healed in the journey. Wow. And both are as beautiful. We've got to be okay with with seeing things happen in God's timing. I'm going to ask you another challenging question here before we get ready to wrap. And, and I'm so grateful that you're on the show today to share this. There's so many people that need to hear this. And we, we talk of God as our father. That's how he identifies himself. And um, this is an area that you discuss in your book a little bit. Um, you know, how, how did you learn to trust God as a heavenly father with the absence of that protector of that father? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. It was slow. It was precept by precept. Uh, there's no easy answers. There's no magic wand. It was a dying to self, a desire to want that, to look upon other healthy relationships, at least what I perceive to be healthy, you know, nothing's perfect. Uh, watching fathers and sons and husbands and wives and, and relationships and, and seeing some health in that, saying, God, I want that. But how do I become that? How do I learn to do that? And again, it was in that walking and trusting and going back and being called up and and just that whole process of saying, letting God become God. You know, I share a story out of the book of Genesis where, where Jacob wrestled with the angel all night long. And I'm sure you're familiar with it. Maybe your listeners are. And as they wrestled all night long, you know, there was a wrestling match and, and, the, and the angel touched Jacob's hip and said, let me go. It's almost daybreak. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. For us to understand that, we have to understand that Jacob meant deceiver, liar, cheater. That's what it meant in the, in the book of Genesis. And the angel says to him, well, what's your name? And he says, it's Jacob. And he goes, you're no longer Jacob, you're Israel. And in the NIV, it says that it's because you've wrestled with God and man and have overcome. So in a sense, Jacob started that wrestling match off as the deceiver. But he ended with becoming the overcomer. Sometimes you have to wrestle. Sometimes you have to not let go. Sometimes you have to make a sacrifice. Sometimes it's very scary. It's hard. It's, it's, but, you know, when we wrestle with ourselves, when we wrestle with our past, when we wrestle with God, when we wrestle with truth, when we wrestle with family, not obviously in a physical way, but in that emotional, spiritual way, that sometimes we say, God, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Mm. And for me, from, he asked me what my name was. And I said, my name's Victim, because that's all I knew. Wow. And he said, your name's no longer Victim, it's victorious. In Praise me. God. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Mark, what's the first step for someone right now to begin a walk towards forgiveness? Again, we're not going to jump to the, uh, the, the end point, the concluding point, and just say, forgive. What's the first step right now for someone to begin to point their life in that direction? Well, obviously, everything starts and finishes with Jesus. Mm. So call upon his name. And then recognize what that offense is. Sometimes you're just offended to being offended. And we don't even know what that looks like. Sometimes we've got to take inventory. I'm really hurt at this. I'm really hurt because of that. I'm really dealing with this. You know, it becomes so convoluted and it's so compounded that we're just angry about being angry. So we kind of have to sometimes just 
slow down, take inventory of ourselves, cry out to God, say, God, you know what? How do these things grow? And how do I walk through these things? And again, I, I, it's not a magic wand. It's that, that true walk with God. I, I think hearing you say there's no single silver bullet that's going to fix it all actually brings comfort because every story is unique. And I know that in my season of battling addiction and, and other things as the Lord was working through my life, I could look around and say, if I just did that, my life would be better. If I just did that, my life would be better. But there was no just that. There was always a process involved. And so I want to just speak to anyone listening right now that you are in the midst of your trauma. You are in the middle of, of your of your story and it feels hopeless. It feels dark. It feels like God is absent. Um, and just by chance you're listening to it. And I don't believe in chances. I believe Amen. the Lord just directed you to listen today. I want to encourage you find someone you may feel so depressed, so overwhelmed, uh, feeling so hopeless that you don't even have the energy to even consider reaching out to someone, or maybe there's so much shame involved. I, I, we're going to pray for you, and Mark's going to pray for you, that God would even implant somebody around you, that God would bring somebody into your life, even this week, um, that you'd be able to open up to, and you could get on that path. If you find yourself, you need rescuing, um, that there's places you could go, there's safe houses, that there are people that will step in, that God can plant people in your environment to be your defender. It's very possible that there's somebody listening right now now and you are trapped but I believe God can rescue you it's not a coincidence that you're listening today and so I'm going to ask Mark to pray for you and however he feels led in whatever um, chapter of your story but um, I hope that you would consider that what you're going through right now will not and does not have to define the entirety of who you are that God can bring beauty out of a disaster um, so, Mark, would you, and if you have any final remarks that you'd like to speak to our listeners right now, and then would you pray for them? Amen. I just want to totally agree with what you were saying, and thank you again for the opportunity to be able to share my testimony and being so honest and open with you and your listeners. It's such a privilege to be able to say that God is in control, and no matter where that help comes from, it could be a counselor, it could be a psychiatrist, it could be a pastor, it could be a friend, a coach. But know that there's people out there, as we said earlier, there's people there that want to help you. And it's knowing that you're not alone. You're not the first guy that's wrestled with abuse. You're not the first guy wrestling with depression. You're not the first person wrestling with the bottle. You're not the first. There are people out there that say, hey, I know there's a way out. And I want to show you, share with you a little bit of my story. So I'd like to pray for, for your listeners yeah, today. Yeah, please do, please do. Lord God, we just come to you. And Father, I thank you that your word is true. And your word says you want to set the captives free. And Father, there's so much that holds us down. The lies, the hurts, the insecurities and fears. And Lord, I pray you're a light in a dark place. That you're a hope in hopelessness. That you're love, Lord God. And I pray for anyone that's listening today, Lord, that may not go in one ear and out the other. But Lord, I pray today that these words will, will stick to their soul. Father, may they not just hear this and say, oh yeah, just another preacher. Father, may they know that you are a God that, that can show up and make a way. So I pray, Lord, you open up doors. Father, you sent people into my life to rescue me. Father, people I had never imagined, people I could never even think of, Lord, but they helped me down one road to the next road, from one step to the next step. So Lord, I pray for anybody that's crying out tonight. 
Father, for the abused, for the broken, the hurt, the wounded, that, Father, you come beside them and send people into their lives, send programs, send, send situations, Lord God, that can set them free. Father, I thank you that you love us, that you never leave us nor forsake us, that you're with us. In your name, Son's name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Listen, you can pick up Forgiving the Nightmare. I want to encourage you. Go pick it up off of Amazon.com. You can also visit Mark and hear more of his story at ForgivingTheNightmare.com. Mark, thank you so much for being on and sharing your story. I know many people will be blessed. Thank you again. It's a blessing. Thank you. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Press On. Until next time. Thank you for joining us. If today's message encouraged you to continue running the race, we invite you to share this message with others. Until next time, keep pressing on.